Hey, Crime Salad listeners, what is up? Ashley here with Crime Salad Podcast, and with me always is my partner in crime, Ricky. As with most of the cases we cover, the perpetrator is often someone that the victims are closest to. Well, our case this week is no exception. In this episode, we'll uncover the abuse and violence committed by a couple living in a small Washington town who on the outside seem to be a kind, quiet, holy, average pair, but inside their home, their actions caused the deaths of at least three people starting in the 1990s. And as a warning, this case involves details of extreme, ongoing abuse of all of those who came into the Notech home, including that of Shelley Notech's three young children. Michelle and David Notech lived in Raymond, a small southwest town in Washington state, not far from the Pacific coast. With a population of less than 2,000, it was a town where everyone knew everyone. David had grown up there and was, according to his mother, just like any other small town boy. He loved to play, was part of local sports teams, and had a fun, goofy side. After he graduated high school in 1971, he left his job at the mill in town to join the Navy. He enlisted for a five-year tour in Vietnam, where he focused on learning heavy construction, a skill he would use after his time in the Navy ended. After returning back to the States and ending a serious relationship with another woman, David met a woman named Michelle. According to his mother, David was on the rebound after his breakup, and Michelle, or Shelly as she was more often called, was friendly and loving towards him. Michelle had gotten divorced in 1977 and had two daughters from that marriage that David would eventually come to care for as well. They married in Long Beach, Washington, and eventually had a daughter together. They moved around a bit in the near 15 years they spent together before finally settling down in Raymond in the 1990s. Their home was a picture-perfect two-story farmhouse with a white picket fence on four acres near the Willapa River. They lived there with their three daughters, six dogs, cats, rabbits, and a bird. The Notex would frequently also let those who were down and out on their luck come stay with them. Those who knew David Notech, including the mayor of the town, said he was a regular Joe, a man who blended in, did his work well, and was kind and pleasant to all. Over the years, though, he started to grow more and more reserved, seeming nervous and unhappy. He had also become a heavy drinker. According to Shirley Notech, his mother, there was one person to blame for her son's change in behavior, his wife, Michelle. While everyone in town seemed to have good things to say about David, the same could not be said for Michelle. In fact, to those living in town, she was nicknamed Crazy Shelley. Shelley's family and acquaintances described her as flighty, volatile, temperamental, and just odd. In one moment, she could be the most loving and charming woman, and in the next, her temper would flare and she'd seemingly turn on you. There were only a few instances of Shelley's darker side that were publicly known. 
David's mother shared that one time Shelly told everyone that she had cancer, going so far as to shave her eyebrows and her hair off just to keep up the ruse. And Shelly's son, although he knew there was no cancer, he still went along with it. Another townsperson shared that once Shelly stalked her and relentlessly demanded that her car be paid for and fixed during a very minor fender bender, despite people not being able to determine who was actually at fault in the accident. As Shelly's erratic and intense behavior grew, David also began to spend weekends away. He worked for a construction company in Oak Harbor and would leave for short periods of time to finish jobs. To his mother, this was evidence that he wanted to leave, that something at home wasn't right. Though she felt David truly wanted to leave, she believed that because he was loyal and cared for the three daughters he lived with, he stayed with Michelle. Ultimately, David became complicit in Shelley's behavior. Despite the change in David's behavior, no one had any idea what happened behind closed doors and just how violent and abusive Michelle really was. The Notek family, having a large property, would frequently open their home to guests. One of their first boarders was Kathy Loreno, a hairdresser in her mid-30s who had a difficult life before coming to stay with Michelle which only got worse when she moved in in 1991. Kathy's father had died after being electrocuted on a movie set he was helping to film when she was only 19. She had been living with her mother, moving from Pacific County and settling in South Bend, another town right near Raymond. Kathy was an old friend of Michelle. She even had been a witness at Michelle and David's wedding. Everyone seemed to adore Kathy. She was quick to share a smile, always welcoming and kind. One of her friends described Kathy as the greatest person that she knew. While she was working at Bobby's Beauty Bar in South Bend and living at home with her mom, Kathy had made a few new friends that her mother did not approve of. Her mom, Kay, was particularly concerned about a new man that Kathy had started dating, and tensions began to rise between them. Rather than continuing to fight with Kay, Kathy decided that it was time for her to move out. So she began to ask around for a place to stay while she sorted things out. Though she wasn't her first choice, Kathy eventually asked Michelle Notek if she could move in. Shelly was more than happy to welcome her into their home, rent-free, in exchange for occasionally babysitting Shelly's youngest daughter, Tori. At first, staying with the Notex was great. Michelle was excited to have Kathy there, only showing her charming and loving side. She helped Shelly care for the children and helped around the house. But after a short while, things started to change and Michelle and David began to physically and mentally abuse Kathy. They would slap and hit her, drag her by her hair, poisoned her so she'd be sick, put bleach and salt on the wounds she got from their violence, forced her to work outside even in the winter, often without any clothes to wear at all starved her, and during the three years she lived with Michelle and David, Kathy lost nearly 100 pounds, her hair and her teeth began to fall out, and she could hardly walk. After years of violence and terrible abuse, alternating with sporadic cycles of deep kindness and friendship, Shelley's mistreatment had become too much. According to David, Kathy had fallen and died by choking on her own vomit one night. 
And rather than taking her to the hospital or the police, Shelly gathered her family and made them swear to never tell the truth about what had actually happened to Kathy Loreno. She even threatened her girls, two of which were in high school, and scared them into believing that if they shared anything, they would all go to prison. Michelle told her husband David to burn Kathy's body in the backyard, which he did using accelerants and metal sheeting, and then they scattered the ashes. Michelle began to tell Kathy's family that she had ran away with a secret boyfriend named Rocky. She quizzed her children on the lie until they got the story straight. She wrote fake letters to Kathy's family that she thought would prove that Kathy was still alive. But Kay Loreno, Kathy's mother, and Kathy's siblings didn't believe it. They knew something had happened to Kathy. Though they filed a missing persons report in 1994, it would take years before the police would have enough evidence to get involved. Kathy's death was just the first to occur in the Notech house. Even before Kathy moved in, Michelle welcomed her nephew, a young man named Shane Watson in 1988. Shane was the son of Michelle's brother who was in prison. He had been staying with his grandparents but was struggling in school. When his grandfather grew sick, they decided that it would be best if he would stay with his aunt and uncle. Like everyone who lived under Michelle's roof, his time there was filled with abuse and torment. Shane hated Shelley, who he knew was the real instigator of violence in the household. After Kathy's death at the hands of Shelley and David, Shane told his eldest cousin Nikki that he had photographic evidence of what happened to Kathy and that he was thinking about going to the police. Nikki, manipulated by her mother and being abused herself, went to Shelley to share what Shane had told her. Enraged, Michelle went to her husband and demanded that he take care of her nephew. David took Shane, only 19 at the time, out to a shed on the property. Though David says it was due to a struggle over the gun, Shane ended up dead, shot in the head with a 22 caliber rifle. As he did with Kathy, David cleaned up the mess with bleach, burned Shane's body, scattering the ashes into the ocean. Michelle spun more lies to cover up Shane's absence. She told his grandparents and her daughters, who loved their cousin, that Shane had left to work on a fishing boat in Alaska. Whenever anyone would ask about him, she always said that he had just recently called and he said he's doing great. Nikki, Sammy, and Tori, the three no-tech daughters, wanted to believe that this was the truth. But when Shelly said that Shane had left her a note saying that he loved her, they knew something wasn't adding up. Shane's hatred of Michelle ran deep, and he would never forgive her for her abuse. Still, young and afraid of their mother, the girls didn't know what they could do. Nikki, to this day, questions why she shared with her mother about all the pictures Shane supposedly had, pictures that were never found. By the time their next boarder moved into the Notech house in 2001, Nikki and Sammy had moved out and far away from their mother, leaving just their 14-year-old youngest sister Tori at the house. Ronald Woodworth was in his 50s and he moved in with Michelle and her husband in October of 2001. He was a resident of Raymond and would frequently walk down the main street and talk to people passing by. This is how many assumed he first met Michelle. Ron had grown up in California and had served in the Vietnam War just like David. 
After returning, he got a degree in Egyptology from University of California, Berkeley. Though longtime friends knew that Ron was sharp, he began to suffer from mental illness as he grew older. His behavior grew more and more concerning, and he stopped caring for himself as he should. Because of this, he struggled to hold down a job and quickly ran out of money. Just before moving in with the Notex, he had a run-in with law enforcement for writing bad checks. Five people had filed restraining orders against him by 2001. After being evicted, Ron went to move back in with his mother for a short time. According to Ron's mother, his friendship with Michelle Notek grew fast. Around the same time, Michelle had been hired by the Olympic Area Agency on Aging. She was a case aide and worked with older and disabled adults to help them find home care and assistance. Ron would often come around and help her care for patients, but in 2001, Michelle was fired from her job for consistently poor performance and being unreliable. Ron Woodworth, being close with Michelle, eventually moved into her and David's home. Michelle, like she was with Kathy nearly 10 years earlier, was overjoyed and loving towards Ron. But this love and kindness eventually gave way to more anger and violence. Some of which, according to his mother, at first inspired anger in Ron. Ron's mother even filed a restraining order against him in late 2002 after he began stalking her, sending her angry letters, and being aggressive towards her. Another townsperson said that Ron would often hide in the ditches and jump out to scare people passing by. Ron was a mentally ill man in need of serious medical care. But instead, Michelle Notek preyed on that, causing years of physical and mental abuse. Pulling from the same arsenal of heinous things she had done to Kathy, Shelley, with the help of her husband David, would put Ron's feet in boiling water until the skin would peel off. She would force him to jump from the second story onto gravel with no shoes on and then put bleach on his cut and broken feet. She would withhold food from him, made him do yard work outside without any clothes on, and drugged him with pills. She called him useless and even forced him to drink his own urine. Her abuse never ceased, and as she had with Kathy, eventually it became too much. In late July of 2003, Ron Woodworth died. David, at the time of Ron's death, was away working on a construction job when Shelley called him and said that Ron had committed suicide. Shelley put his body in the freezer, and when David returned a few days later, he buried him in the backyard. Like the previous two murderers on the property, he had planned to burn the body, but he had to wait until a burn ban was lifted again in the area. This time, after Ron's death, Tori, the youngest daughter of both David and Michelle, was 14 years old and was no longer willing to stay silent about her mother's abuse. She reached out to her siblings. Tori felt that her mother needed to be stopped. Together in August of 2003, they called the police and reported what they knew. Tori was removed from the NoTech home by Child Protective Services and police began searching the property. They found Ron Woodworth's body buried in the backyard. Though Michelle had claimed that it was a suicide, an autopsy by the medical examiner concluded that wasn't possible. He had been murdered, though a specific method of death wasn't determined or released. 
As soon as the police arrived to arrest Michelle and David at their property, David immediately began sharing what he knew. Michelle was not as cooperative. Their bail was set at a combined $5 million. Though police had focused their investigation on Ron Woodworth's murder, Kathy Loreno's family took charge to ensure that justice was found for Kathy as well. In the years since her disappearance, her mother Kay reportedly asked the public for help. Kathy's brothers hired a private investigator, and finally when the police received a call about Ron, they pushed investigators to find evidence that could explain what happened to Kathy. Police requested blood, hair, and writing samples from David and Michelle. Most particularly, they used these writing samples to show that the letters that Kay Loreno had supposedly received from her daughter were in fact written by Michelle. With David's confession, statements made by witnesses, including the three Notech daughters, and overwhelming evidence, the state of Washington charged Michelle Notech with two counts of second-degree murder, one for the death of Kathy Loreno and the second for the death of Ronald Woodworth. David Notech was charged with the first-degree murder of Shane Watson, unlawful disposal of human remains, and for his criminal assistance in Michelle's abuse. By the end of their trial, a year and a half had passed, and Michelle and David were convicted of their crimes. They each entered in plea deals, admitting to slightly lesser crimes in order to get a shorter sentence. Michelle was given 22 years in prison, the maximum that the judge could allow given her previous court precedents for similar crimes. David was sentenced to 15 years. It's hard to imagine someone committing these heinous crimes, and impossible to understand what brings someone to try to inflict such horrible abuse. Though others appear to believe that David was manipulated into committing these crimes by Michelle, it's unclear what prompted Michelle's complete disregard for human life. In the time following Michelle and David's arrest after Ron's murder, police began to uncover and question so much more about what happened in that house. After formal charges were submitted for Kathy, Shane, and Ron's deaths, police expanded their investigation to include James McClintock, an 81-year-old veteran who was being cared for by Michelle. In February of 2002, a year before Ron's murder, James McClintock died of a blunt impact to the head. Given his elderly age, it was assumed that he had fallen and hit his head. After his death, Michelle inherited his $130,000 estate and nearly $9,000 in cash. But according to his will, James had planned to leave everything to his dog, a black Labrador named Sissy. Michelle was only to inherit the McClintock property after Sissy had died. When police came to search the Notex home, they found Sissy alive and well, living there with their five other dogs. Ultimately, police weren't able to prove that Michelle or David had anything to do with James McClintock's death, despite the suspicious circumstances and their other crimes. With Sissy the dog found alive, the most they could do was reclaim his property back from the Notex. It's been nearly 20 years since Michelle and David Notech were charged with three murders. David was released from prison early for good behavior. Now 66 years old, he works at a seafood processing plant in Washington. Nikki and Sammy, the eldest daughters, have forgiven him for his role in what happened during their childhood. Sammy shared that she believed David had just been manipulated by her mother and had no backbone to stand up against her. Tori, the youngest and David's biological daughter, refuses to talk to her father to this day. 
unable to move past his involvement in the years of torture and abuse she endured. Despite the horrors that they went through, Tori, Sammy, and Nikki have managed to rebuild and are working towards moving past what happened with their parents. Each is married, and Nikki now has three children of her own. As the date of their mother's release from prison approaches, they have begun speaking out and sharing stories of their childhood to prevent anyone from being abused by her again. In the 20 years since Michelle's arrest, none of them intend to speak with her again. They fear that once free, Michelle will return to her abusive ways and someone else may fall victim to her manipulation. And to help raise awareness, the No Tech women worked with true crime author Greg Olson to share their story about what happened at their home in a book called If You Tell, A True Story of Murder, Family Secrets, and the Unbreakable Bond of Sisterhood, which was published in 2019. In the book, they tell horrific stories of how their mother abused each of them. In addition to beating them, Michelle would punish them by something she called wallowing, which is similar to what you could picture an animal doing in the mud. She would force the girls to strip naked in the middle of the night and roll in the mud while she hosed them off with cold water. The girls were physically abused so often that they would wear long pants and shirts to avoid their teachers from asking questions. Once Michelle pushed Nikki's head through a glass door, only to blame it on Nikki. The book states that, like most abusers, after these periods of gruesome, horrendous abuse, Shelley would completely switch and become a loving, caring mother again. The girls never knew when their mother's mood would change. To them, she was a ticking time bomb. The women hoped that through the book, they could make sure that the world knew about how dangerous their mother is, but they also hoped that readers could learn from their survival. As often is the case with domestic violence, no one in their small town knew what happened behind the closed doors of their home. They hope that those who might be in similar situations can learn about how they were able to get out of that situation and fight for justice for the lives lost at the hands of their parents. They hope that others are encouraged to find safety themselves. If you or someone you know is experiencing abuse at home, we hope that you reach out for help to the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. This concludes this week's episode of Crime Salad Podcast. We hope you guys really enjoyed it. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the blood, blood, all the pain, pain. All the blood, blood, all the pain.